0: My message today is entitled, My Father's Business. Our focus today is going to begin with the time in Jesus' young life on earth when his family went up to Jerusalem to participate in one of the holy feasts. So we're going to look at Luke chapter two, starting in verse 41. Speaking of Jesus, it says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, speaking of Jesus, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Verse 43, When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Verse 44, But supposing him to have been in the company... They went a day's journey and sought Him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find Him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking Him. Here we have this curious story about the early life of Jesus. First, we must take into account, before you get ready and get on the phone and report child abandonment, we must take into account the historical and cultural context in which it was written. As families regularly caravan together to go up to these feasts, and large groups of family, extended family, and friends, they would travel together for safety. So there were a lot of people. It wasn't just Mary and Jesus, Mary and Joseph saying, "Hey, wait a minute, is someone missing?" No, I don't think so. It was large extended families that would would happen. And so this occurrence of leaving a twelve-year-old boy behind was probably more common back then than we would realize. But the significant part of this event was that this was no ordinary 12-year-old boy. This was the one who was born of the Holy Spirit, who was announced by the angels, who was proclaimed by a star in the sky and by the heavenly host. He was repeatedly uh, protected by warnings and dreams uh, given to Joseph and was repeatedly proven as the fulfillment of prophecies of the Old Testament before he ever performed a miracle. There was a great fanfare, and Mary and Joseph knew full well who this 12-year-old boy was. This was Jesus. This is who was left behind, and no one even knew that they had left Jesus for over a day. Yet they still traveled on their journey. How about you? Would you know if you left Jesus? Would you assume that you are with them and that he's involved in all your daily activities? Would you assume that he agrees with your every thought, with your every conversation, with your every motivation, and your every response to what life presents you? I would say that we can learn a lot from this exchange between Jesus and his earthly parents. After the miraculous way that Jesus exploded onto the scene, In Bethlehem, we know very little of his childhood life, which leads us to believe that he was probably simply an obedient child who was subject to his parents and protected by God. Even in this event at the temple, it's not that Jesus ran away, but more so that his parents left without confirming that he was with them. The point I'm trying to make is that it's easy to know Jesus is near when we're seeking Him in prayer. It's easy to know His presence is there when we hear Him speak to us through as we study Scripture. Or we can sense His presence in worship and when we're serving others with the right heart's motivation, we know He's there. But as we know, all of life is not 100% filled with moments like these. There are times for the mundane activities of work and chores and meetings in responsibilities, in downtime. Do we make an effort to make sure Jesus is with us in all these times? Or do we just assume that He's always right there, agreeing with us with all of our decisions, giving us His approval on how we handle and react to challenges in our lives? When we first come to the Lord, our spirit becomes so sensitive to His voice To his conviction and to his truth and to his leading. And yet if we don't continue to seek him with that same intensity and that same excitement and that same devotion, then we lose our awareness of his presence and what he's trying to speak to us. And we just assume that he's always there. He's right there. We assume that we assume that he's in our presence. The truth of the matter is that too often, We wander from Jesus, assuming Him to be in our presence. But since we don't hear Him, we mistakenly think that He's okay with our daily choices, with our daily actions and reactions. Now, Mary and Joseph were amazing parents. Very responsible, God-fearing people whom God personally selected to parent Jesus on this earth. So if they could wander away from Jesus, how much more so are we susceptible from doing the same thing? How much more should we be checking in with Jesus repeatedly throughout the day? How much more should we be waiting to hear His voice to us specifically in prayer? Or seeking to find His direction for our lives in Scripture study and meditation? Or worshiping Him in spirit and the truth? let us be careful not to proceed throughout our day without the Savior in our minds constantly, convicting our words, leading us to pursue peace and offering grace and forgiveness and cherishing His presence in all we do. And when we are convicted and come to the realization that we have wandered, even if it's ever so slightly, but yet we have wandered away from Jesus or His teachings or His grace and direction, let us be quick to go back to Him. This is a sign of repentance, of humility, of a desire to make our lives right with where He calls us to be. Luke 2.46 Now so it was that after three days, They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Let's put this into perspective. His family traveled a whole day on their journey away from Jerusalem. They took a whole day to come back, probably, and then searched for at least a whole other day looking for him, which means they didn't know where he was until they finally found him in Jerusalem at the temple. Even when they realized He was not with them, they didn't know where to look to find Him. How about you? Do you know where to find Jesus? Do you know where to look? I'm going to tell you how to find Him in the Bible. Not just in the Gospels, but in every part of the Bible. In Genesis Jesus is the Word of God creating the heavens and the earth. He is the promised seed of the woman. In Exodus, He is the Passover Lamb. In Leviticus, He is the high priest and He is the sacrifice on the altar. In Numbers, He is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And He is the rock that gives the living water. In Deuteronomy, He is the prophet that's greater than Moses. In Joshua, he is the commander of the army of the Lord, leading his people into the promised land. In Judges, he is the true and final judge. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, he is the anointed shepherd and the king who slays the giant. In 1st and 2nd Kings, he is the righteous king of kings and the Lord of lords. In 1st and 2nd Chronicles, he is the faithful restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, he is the faithful restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, he is the redeeming builder of the walls. In Esther, he is the sovereign protector of all his people. In Job, he is the living redeemer and our true comforter. In Psalms, he is the good shepherd who hears our cries. In Proverbs, He is wisdom like no other. In Ecclesiastes, He is the meaning of life. In the Song of Solomon, He is the loving bridegroom coming for His bride. That's what we wait for this day. In Isaiah, He is the promised Messiah. He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the suffering Servant. Wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Jesus is all over the Bible. In Jeremiah, Jesus is the potter and the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, Jesus is the river of life, bringing healing to all the nations. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the ever faithful husband pursuing his unfaithful bride. In Joel, he is the restorer of what the locusts have eaten and the one who will pour his spirit upon his people. In Amos, he is the burden bearer and the true restoration. In Obadiah, he is the judge of all the earth and he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is the salvation of all lands. And the prophet cast out in the storm who spent three days in the depths. It was a sign of Jesus. In Micah, he was the promised Messiah born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he was the avenger of God's elect. Yes, that's right. Jesus is the original avenger. In Habakkuk, he was the reason for rejoicing in our strength even when the fields were empty. In Zephaniah, he is the preserver and the restorer of his remnant and his kingdom. In Haggai, he is the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he is the cleansing fountain and the pierced sun, whom every eye on this earth will one day behold. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. He is the refiner's fire. Jesus is all through the Bible. In Matthew, Jesus is the King of the Jews. In Mark, He is the servant King. In Luke, He is the Son of Man. And in John, He is the Son of God, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. In Acts, Jesus is the risen Lord, bringing salvation to all the nations. In Romans, He is our justification and the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, He is the Rock. In 2 Corinthians, He is our triumph, sanctifying the church. In Galatians, He is the liberation that fulfills the law and sets us free. In Ephesians, He is the head of the church who gives us God's armor. In Philippians, He is our joy. In Colossians, He is the firstborn of all creation and head of the church. In 1 Thessalonians, Jesus is coming again. That's the promise with a trumpet and a shout to meet all believers in the sky. In second Thessalonians, Jesus is the believer's patience as they await his return. In first Timothy, he is our mediator between God and man. In second Timothy, he is the seed of David raised from the dead and he is our salvation. In Titus, he is our blessed hope and our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is our redeemer, restoring us to effective service. In Hebrews, he is our high priest and the author and the finisher of our faith. In James, he is the one at work in us as our faith is in action. In 1 Peter, he is the living stone, the chief cornerstone and the rock of offense. To others. In second Peter, he is the faithful, long-suffering Lord, not willing that any should perish, but offering salvation to all. In first John, he is love and the true and eternal God. In second John, he is the truth by which we walk in love. In third John, he is all that is good and a hospitable host. In Jude, He is the one who keeps us from stumbling and presents us blameless with great joy. In Revelation, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is coming again, and He is the one who makes all things new. That's who Jesus is. And in the Bible, That's where you can always find Him. Every page of the Word. If you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to you, He will be faithful. That's where you find Jesus. Where was Jesus when His earthly parents and family could not find Him? He was in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the teachers. Both listening to them and asking them questions. Luke 2.47 And all who heard Jesus were astonished at His understanding and His answers. The wisdom of the Lord transcends our understanding. We can't get it in books or school or listening to scholars. But if we ask the Holy Spirit for the wisdom of God He will reveal it to us with understanding when we take the time to seek Him in prayerful meditation in the Word. That means we don't just study the Word or read it. It means we read it and ask God, God, tell me what this means. Tell me what this means to me. I'm going to get around other like-minded believers and we're going to use the Word to share what God is speaking to us. We're going to keep going back to the Word because the Word confirms itself. But if we do, God gives us a greater understanding and a wisdom to apply it to ourselves and to those around us. And yet, even when Mary and Joseph found the boy Jesus at the temple, she mistakenly made it about their anxiety assuming Jesus had left them. Luke 2.48 So when they saw Him, they were amazed and His mother said to Jesus, Son... Why have you done this to us? Look, your Father and I have sought you anxiously. So it is often when we come back to Jesus with worry and anxiety and fear and shame, our propensity is to assume that God is unfair, that God caused something unjust in our lives, or that He didn't care enough to provide for us. Yet true repentance knows that God is blameless. That His grace is sufficient. And that His good, pleasing, and perfect will is, is that. And that His ways are way above ours. And especially when we don't understand what He's doing or what He's allowing in our lives, we have to realize that God always has our best interest in mind. True repentance is coming all the way back to Jesus and realizing that it's not something that God did to us, but rather something that we did to God. That we wandered away. That we left His presence. That we took Him for granted at some level, in some situation, in some perspective, and that is on us. True repentance makes no excuses, but comes back to Jesus in all humility seeking nothing more than to be forgiven to restore that relationship with our Father. Being restored by His grace. Encouraged by His love. And then sent forth again in His authority and power to share the Jesus with this world. Luke 2.49 Jesus said to them, Why did you seek Me? Did you not know I must be about My Father's business? This question is just as poignant for us today. Can you hear Jesus speaking this to you right now? Don't you know that I must be about my Father's business? Why then are we spending all our time looking for fulfillment and truth and life and meaning in the world? Why are we looking for Jesus in entertainment and on the internet and in leisure pursuits and in scholarly discussions? Do we not know that Jesus is easy to be found because he's always doing his father's business? Luke 2.50. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They did not understand that Jesus, what Jesus meant by when he made the statement. How about you? Do you not know that we all must be about the Father's business? It's so easy to get lost in the minutia of meetings and discussions and plans and procedures thinking that we are doing our Father's business. But are we really? Do you really think that God wants us to spend our time debating and arguing and planning and talking? Or do you think that we need to be out there talking to people about Jesus, sharing the Gospel, getting into the schools, getting into the communities and the businesses, getting into people's lives, getting our hands dirty, healing the brokenhearted, offering hope through grace and love. Listen, even Jesus made it a point of showing us how to find Him and how to find His will when He visited a synagogue in His own hometown of Nazareth. Luke 4.17 And Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He had opened the book, He found the place where it was written. Verse 18 The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Listen, Jesus sat down so that we could stand up. If we truly are willing to be about our Father's business, then we have work to do. Let us not get bogged down in debates and rituals and discussions. Let us get to our Father's business. By allowing Jesus to live through us, these Scriptures will continue to be fulfilled as we get out there in the world preaching the Gospel to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Listen, there are many people that it's not just a physical blindness but a spiritual blindness that they can't see that Jesus is the way. But when God puts you in someone's life, it's for a reason for you to reflect Jesus in that person's life. We all have to be about our Father's business to set at liberty those who are oppressed by sharing Jesus with the world. Let us all be about the Father's business.